were right. I shouldn't have said we've been really good getting these episodes out weekly. Okay, right. So we missed last week, but that was my fault because <laughs> um, work just totally got on top of me with late nights and working loads. And I was just like, I physically cannot do this this week. It's one of those things. It's we have actual lives outside of podcasts and films and films, and sometimes real life gets in the way, and you just got to deal with it. But we do apologise. But it's going to happen now and again. Yes, but we are only one week late. We haven't we just disappeared. We've actually we're actually going to finish off a season. Yeah, it's not like six months like our last time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we are going to finish off a season, as yes. you said. Um, and we might as well get into intros. This is his film, her movie. I'm Jordan, and I'm Lauren. And we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate, so you can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com um, to check out all those lovely, lovely shows. However, yeah. as you said, last episode of High Season. Yes. Your choice. Yeah, save the best till last. You did say last episode what we were going to do, but do you <laughs> want to remind the audiences of what you've chosen? Although it's already in the title of the podcast, so they're going to know. <laughs> I picked Tangled. The Disney Pixar 2010 film. Yes. Now, out of the six films, this is the most liberal with the term heist. Okay, okay. Do you want to know why I picked this? Okay, so I I, I don't know a lot of heist films. Jordan likes to pick these themes and he's like, find some films. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. And nine times out of ten, I'll watch a film and I'll be like, I love this film. I think it's great. And so... If you think of a theme, yeah. I tend to then like Google the theme and yeah. it comes up with like films to watch. And sometimes I'll be like, I already know that film. I just never thought of it as a heist film or yeah, yeah. A, this type of film or whatever. I found a website. It's called Crime Reads. And they had the top 50 heist films. Right. And they had some of the films that we've seen. They also included Ant-Man. And for everybody out there who knows I love Marvel, you should be very happy I did not make you watch Ant-Man again. <laughs> but number 20 was Tangled. And they put, let me describe the plot of Tangled for you. It's about a gang of burglars who steal a priceless royal heirloom from a guarded display. And then... When their ringleader, a career thief, double-crosses the other two and attempts to find a place to stash the loot, he stumbles on a woman who does not realise she is the keeper of another priceless, once-stolen treasure or that she is a kidnapping victim who has spent her whole life hostage. They flee, pursued by associates who are determined to reacquire the stolen goods. That is the plot of Tangled. It is a heist film. <laughs> it may be a slightly loosely based heist <laughs> loosely. film. But it is a heist film. <laughs> it has a team of thieves. They have a heist. Then other people have other heists to steal other priceless things. It's a heist film. And I will die on this cross <laughs> that it is a heist film. And I don't even know who the writer of this is. I'm very sorry if I butcher her name. Olivia... Ruti Gilanio, she also agrees it is a heist film. Okay. So me and her could be best friends. <laughs> that is my case. And yeah, it's a heist well film. Well argued, well argued. Thank you. Even have evidence to back it up. It's from a crime actual website. 
But before we get into Tangled, we always like to start the episodes with what's been keeping us entertained over yes. the last, well, 14 days in this instance. So what has been keeping you entertained? The Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Right. So I remember when the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise first came out, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I remember watching Curse of the Black Pearl, then On Stranger Tides. Was that the next one? No, that's the third one. Dead Man's Chest. Dead Man's Chest. At World's End. And then At World's End. Okay, so basically, I remember the first three. I remember going to the cinema. I remember watching the first three and enjoying them. There's like eight Pirates of the Caribbean films that I didn't know the other ones even existed. What is it? There's there's On Stranger Tides. Which I'm currently in Salazar's Revenge. And then there's something else. So yeah, maybe like yeah, I'm sure there's like I think there's like okay, maybe eight was a bit of a. I think I think there's five. Is there? But either way, I had not seen all of them. There you go. Dead men tell no ch- tales. Oh God, yeah, there is, yeah. Yeah. So there is um, five films in one to six, six films yeah. in total. So I was like, I I have not seen all these films. Mm. And I remember watching the first couple and absolutely loving them. And then you just kind of maybe get a bit older and you're probably not quite the demographic for that film. So I never saw the others. I can't remember when the other ones came out. Thought, you know what, I'm going to even watch. So I started off, I watched the first three that I already knew of. I'm on, nearly finished the fourth one now. Um, it It's all right. The it, new one. Uh, no, this is the one where they go looking. Oh, so yeah, but like on Stranger Ties, not one of the originals. No, trilogy. no, this is one of the new ones. This is one where they go and um, look for uh, what's it, the Fountain of Youth, right? And then they had a mermaid, and then I might have like looked at my phone for five minutes, and when I look back up, the mermaid had legs. Totally missed where her legs came from. Um, and a shirtless vicar. Well, sounds like a really trashy. Mills and Boone type romance thing going on there. The Pirates franchise is a bit of an interesting one because the first one was so... So good. It was so good and it was successful. I mean, don't remember the Pirates films have been super successful. That's why yeah. they keep on making them. But the first one was so well received. It filled a gap within blockbuster filmmaking, really, of mm-hmm. Pirates movies not being involved in it for so long. And it had Johnny Depp delivering a brilliant, if off-kilter performance. Great special effects. And then it just... hold up very well. It did do. And it's like, what happened with that is they said, okay, this is a smash hit. Let's greenlight sequel. So the green green lit the trilogy, basically, off the first one. Mm -hmm. And they started making the next two without even having a finished script. Really, I did not see. Now, I like the second one. I am a Bill Nye fan, mm. quite, and I love. I just love him. Most of the films I watch him, he is just himself. So this is quite fun to see him acting quite a bit of a campy, sort of unusual, different way to mm. what I'm used to seeing. And also, he the CGI on him, I just think looks really, really it's, good. It's it is, and I think they even like piney techniques to be able mm. to do it, and it looks great. Um. I came down, you came downstairs and I think I was watching what the third one yeah, and you yeah. were like, I don't even know what the story of this is. 
I don't. It, it, it's got this aimless. The, the, the last two of that original trilogy, because they they hadn't finished the script and they didn't really know where they were going. I just felt you could really feel it whilst watching the films because they just sort of don't feel focused at all. No, but they are kind of like a part one and part two. Mm. So I feel like maybe I enjoyed them more because I watched them one after the other, which is probably how it's best. Yeah, to yeah. watch them it's it's not like harry potter where you've got like the part one and part two of the deathly hallows because if you know the books then you know what's happening yeah yeah, yeah. um and it kind of sets you up whereas both of them are quite action heavy and bring a lot of uh, things in um but i could definitely see you maybe going to the cinema watching the second film and being like uh, mm, it's kind of finished at some point and then going, what, like a year later to see the third one, being like, I have no idea what's happening yeah. because it, you have to remember what's happening in the second to be able to get what's happening in the third. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the fourth one, it it's all right. It's not as... I'm not enjoying it as much. Mm. It's got Penelope Cruz in, who I always like, but it's not her best work. Yeah. Um, Johnny Depp basically carries it as as he kind of does for yeah, a lot he, of the he carries films. the entire franchise he carries yeah. the entire franchise on him um and he's still great in it um i love the story that he actually travels with his captain jack costume yes and then he goes and like visits people and um cause, and then also cuz it's all based on one of the rides at disney um which by the way ever go on you see like there's like loads of skeletons everywhere they found out one year that in the original one in california there was actual real skeletons in <laughs> they'd like got prop skeletons and then they found out nope that's a real skull that's a real dead person wow. but uh yeah he he turns up in the ride sometimes himself like he just goes and they remove his animatronic and he just wanders around the ride so yeah i'm, I'm enjoying it for him yeah um, apart from that, mm, yeah, I'll see how the other ones go. I don't know, the fourth, the fifth one might be better. So I haven't seen On Stranger Tides or Salazar's Revenge or the other one. No. Um, it just sort of lost me after that original three. But there's a few things that we've watched together. Yes, there has been quite a few, actually. Yeah, so... One of the main ones would be the Batman. Yes. Matt Reeves' version of the Batman with R. Pats okay. and Zoe Kravitz. Yes. As, as the two leads and Paul Dano as Riddler. Mm-hmm. So I was looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed what the trailers were selling me. One And, and one thing I, I actually am thankful for, thankful for is that the trailers were very true to their word. Yeah. They were all about this new, grittier, more brutal, darker Batman. And I, especially that, that that last one, everybody has been saying that Batman needs to be darker for years. And I think that's because everybody, I guess, sees the characters the character through the influences of, of the Frank Miller and Alan Moore stories of the 80s, like Year One, Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. um, and The Killing Joke. And you can definitely see their influences all over this. I mean, especially Mua, as it has like this raw shack from Watchmen, noirish yeah. voiceover um, narrative to part to the film, especially at the beginning when he's talking about Gotham and it, it, it's crime. And mm-hmm. It does have an issue to Watchmen 
of basically Rorschach saying, I've seen the city's true self and things yeah. like that. So we saw this, what, seven days ago now? Yeah, seven days ago. Last Friday. Last Friday yeah. We were literally recording on Friday. And I think my love for it has grown each day when I've looked back. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard when you've got these different iterations of the same character or not to go back and compare because each version of the Batman has been so different. And and I don't really want to say what's better or what's not, but I will say this. I think that this Batman will be the one that I return to the most. Yes. Out of yes. The, the previous, just because it is the purest adaptation of that character that we've seen in a live action movie, the tone, the mood, the pacing is just absolutely spot on. And for a film that's just shy of three hours, that's saying something. Yeah, I think the I'm I've never been the biggest fan mm-hmm. of uh the DC franchise. It's not the way I like my Batman, the ones that I always loved were like the 90s, very camp. And I will always return to those. Yeah. I love those because to me, comic book, it is camp. No matter whichever way you look at it, comic book characters are camp. Yeah. And they're colourful. And even when they try and make it dark and moody, they're always an element of camp in there. But for me, for the more serious Batman, I love this. Um when you're saying it's like more true to like the style and the form, for me it was more true to life. Oh, yeah. Like little things, like it's not a spoiler that he goes out as Bruce Wayne and then he appears as Batman. But little things like he has a backpack, he's blatantly got his bat costume mm. in his backpack. It's like little things like that I felt were more thought out. Um, everybody was calling him like the emo Batman because of the eyeliner and everything. But I read somewhere that that was sort of a nod to the older Batman characters where when they would take off the cowl, there would be like no black around well, that's their it. eyes. There's a scene in Batman Returns or the original Batman where literally in one shot, you can see Keaton has blacked out eyes underneath yeah. the cowl and cuts away and cuts right back and he's got no eye yeah. makeup on and he takes the mask off so he doesn't have any eye makeup on. But, but this, I felt, was, yeah, it's more true to life. And as somebody who wears a lot of eyeliner, you, there's parts of there's parts of it where you see our Pats is meant to be uh, Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. but he still has slight remnants of eyeliner. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you wear a lot of dark makeup. It takes, it's hard to get off if you just got to try and scrub it. And but and it, it, it just it just felt more realistic. And, it, and for me, it's even like talking about like Paul Dano in it. And when, when you see when you see when you see the, even the other incels, let's call them incels, who turn up at the end when they take the masks off, they've got like cellophane wrapped cling film around yeah. their heads. And I listened to an interview with him, and that's because I, he said, "Well." He's a very smart man. He doesn't want to leave any DNA. So the reason why he's doing that so he doesn't leave any hair, which yeah. is great. But one, I also like the fact that this is the film that they decided to make. Yeah. And in a way that, in respect for Matt Reeves and respect for the studio to be brave enough to stick with that vision. And I love that it is a detective story at its core. Instead of just a rich man with gadgets um, that we've got before, I mean, I, I wish the... Little Mysteries, the Riddler set up for Batman would have been tougher and would have maybe taken him longer to solve, but he is the world's greatest greatest detective. 
over and you can't make it any longer than uh, three uh, hours. that's it but yeah it, it's procedural elements i enjoyed um and seeing him interact with gotham pd we, we haven't yes. really seen that I like the, I like the goth I like Gotham PD being like what what is he doing here what is happening he is a vigilante yeah. and I like that I like the fact that if this yeah like like I said if it was real life this is how they would be reacting they'd be like why is this man here yeah he should not be here it's like seeing Batman on a crime scene with other detectives around it's like we'd, we'd... <laughs> my favorite bit was like uh should he be should he be touching that Commissioner Gordon it's mm. going. He's wearing gloves. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thank finally, because there's so many times where you see things like this and they pick stuff up and you're like, put some goddamn gloves on because you just ruined all that evidence. Yeah. And yeah, it's it like the griminess of Gotham. Oh, yeah. It's like everybody's a bit grubby at some point, especially in the underworld. And you, you felt that influence of even like the animated series, mm-hmm. um, even like inflections in the score. But I actually didn't know John Turturro was in this playing Falcone, which was a great surprise. Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell as Penguin is insane. He's so good. I love the fact that it's, they took such a pretty man and covered him in prosthetics. That way you have no idea who yeah. it is. But I feel like that's a really good sort of testament to how good an actor Colin Farrell is because it's very easy to look at him and go, He's a really good looking guy, and that's mm. why he's got this thing. He's not a good looking guy in this. It's like um it great energy. Yeah, but it's it's like in House of Gucci where they got uh Jared Leto. Yeah. And they just covered him in prosthetics. And he's camp and he's over the top, but he is brilliant in it so because good. you don't know who it is. Yeah. And yet I um say so Jeffrey Rice is Gordon is top notch and Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. I mean, I spoke about about her in the last episode. I think about Kimmy, and I stand by what I said. I think she's an absolute star. Oh, I think she um, was just she was so good, and I love the fact that she wasn't just there for like romance. Yeah. How many times have we got a female character who is and like Anne Hathaway's Catwoman was good, but it was the whole oh she's sexy and they've got this and they've got this didn't i i feel like the, those ones i didn't care and we've joked about how i'm like oh just kill the kids i didn't care because they never developed a character and they never really developed Anne hathaway's character in that whereas zoe kravitz's one i was like yeah you actually had a story in yeah that there was part and... of it and i don't want to spoil it for anybody where she finds something out i was like oh, i actually like gasped when it happened so mm. i was like I I get what she's going to be feeling and I feel this for her because she had a character and she had an arc and she had a backstory and she had a life that was happening whilst Batman was doing his stuff. I don't feel like the other Catwoman, Poison Ivy, all of those have really had that. And the and the chemistry between her and Robert Pattinson is is superb oh it's well. great it's so, so good. good to watch and paul Dino, we said like he is very good in the movie and the thing is when you're a batman villain in a in a, in a live action film now you've always got a bar that is pretty much unattainable um to reach now uh, given what Heath Ledger did with the joker in the dark knight but i think yeah i think Dino does incredibly well here because the fact that he's basically a zodiac killer um 
it riffs off that grounded feeling of the movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the there is no superhero powers in this superhero movie. No, and I like that. Me too. Me too. And like, I'm actually torn on whether I want a sequel or not. I like the fact that this could be a self-contained film now. It's done well. So I think... Well, they already sort of said, because I know... um, I don't feel like this is a spoiler, but at the end there is like a... A There's a Joker cameo. No. At the very, very end, there's like a message that comes up. Yes. And I did see that something on TikTok, it flashes up with something. Somebody on TikTok basically slowed it down and it's a website Mm. and it takes you to the website and it's got the Riddler's cipher and when you... Um, go through it and you solve it. It's basically saying this is not the end. Right. So for diehards to do that, then people would go through it and be like, oh, this is not the end. They'll be doing another film. But um, for other people, probably won't see that. They won't stay. They won't see it flash up. They won't go to the website. They won't work it out. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I think they've left it open. So I think the fact that it's done so well, it's inevitable that there's going to be sequels. And, yeah, I was saying I'm torn because I like the fact that it's self-contained, but I want to see more of these characters and this world and this Gotham. So either or. Also, you said Joker, whereas people keep on saying to me it's Two-Face. People have said Two-Face as well, actually, but I think it's Joker. It's just a laugh. Yeah, that it was the laugh that got, got me, but... Because the is fact is, we only see one side of his face, basically. Is it bad that I'm really sick of the Joker? Yeah, no, that is a complete criticism. Um, fair play to, to it, you know what I mean? Because I've done it a lot. Let's, let's go in a different dimension. I could definitely, sorry, harken back to Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm. I could definitely see if he was still a, like able to play the character, if he was still around, I could see uh, Paul Dano's Riddler working very well opposite his Joker because mm-hmm. I feel like they had the same sort of energy. Um, the mania. Yeah, but I feel like the Riddlers would be the kind of mania to try and please the Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like Paul Dana would have done that very, very well. So I feel like he's not the Heath Ledger um, top level, but he. I feel like if you had them both in the same film, and I feel like he would have stood his own against well, that's fair Heath Ledger's player. Joker. I think he would have done very, very well opposite, and I feel like their character energies would have played off brilliantly against each other. No, I completely agree with that. And yeah, it's like Matt Reeves, is he's really carving out a nice career for himself. I mean, he's made two supremely good Planet of the Apes movies in Dawn and War. Mm-hmm. He did the Let Me In American remake, which was which was fine enough, but he also made one of my favourite monster movies. That's Cloverfield. Oh yeah, yeah. Big fan of Cloverfield. So yeah, he's he's a talent, and I can't wait to see what he does next. And if he does a Batman movie, great. If not, let's see what he does. And the next thing that we both watched together is well, it was the fiftieth anniversary of The Godfather. Yes. And for that milestone, cinemas re-released it. And, well, I have seen The Godfather. And, well, we can do them both as one, really. Yeah, we, we saw Godfather 1. And we saw Godfather Part 2. So I've seen both of these films numerous times mm-hmm. throughout the years, but never seen either of them on the big screen. 
You had never seen them? I had never seen them, no. And, yeah, I find first watches of classics quite interesting because, in a way, you're watching it and judging it differently than other films that you're watching in the sense that you've been told it's one of the greatest films of all time for so long Mm -hmm. that you're like, okay, show me why. Yeah. So my question to you would be, did you have expectations going in? How did it match up? And did it deliver what the experience that you thought it was going to deliver? So um, I expected it to be a lot more violent. Mm -hmm. I also feel like there's maybe some people in the audience, whoever we were, probably also expecting it to be a lot more violent. Um, Some kids walked out. Some kids walked out. They were annoying anyways. But I think that was because when you think you'd said that when it first came out, it wasn't 18. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it actually could have been an X, but it, it would have been an 18 when it came out, definitely. So I was expecting a lot more violence, which is probably why I've not watched this. It's been maybe like the past five, six years that I started feeling a lot more comfortable watching violence on mm-hmm. the screen. Um, so I would have stayed away from it. Uh, before that because I would have just got freaked out and gone, no, I can't watch this anymore. Apart from that, I had had a few... I I didn't know the story brilliantly. I didn't know the characters brilliantly. Yeah, I honestly, I know it's meant to be like one of the... I know it is one of the greatest films of all time, but I didn't really know anything about it. We joked about like you've probably seen most of the film in memes anyhow. Yeah, or or on The Simpsons. On The Simpsons, yeah. And there was at one point I was like, I recognise that it's from The Simpsons. (laughs) Um, So you were right, there were bits in both of them that I was like, I know this from The Simpsons. So that was was quite good because it was like, oh, it's a little bit of a familiarity, but I can see how it was done correctly. I really, really enjoyed them. Good. Really enjoy them. They are heavy films. They are long. They are long. They're not something that I'm going to put on whilst I'm just doing the ironing one rainy, sunny afternoon. That is still going to probably be just like the Adams Family or some sort of trash like that. But getting to see them on the big screen was just brilliant. I feel like that is exactly the best way for me to have been able to see them for the first time. And that's it. And that's a cliche, but it's true. And that's why I love getting to see these films on the big screen because they are absolutely the way they were intended to be seen, mm-hmm. especially in that era. Because home video, home viewing really wasn't a thing until the 80s. So therefore people only got to see movies mm-hmm. when they actually went to theatres. And yeah, it's... You you one hundred percent appreciate the film more for doing so, even if it's Gordon Willis's incredible cinematography. I mean that famous top down lighting where that really blacks out the eyes mm-hmm. sockets, um, and you can barely see their eyes. It's just it's so ex- accentuated <laughs> in this. But yeah, it's it's. I mean to talk about the to talk about the qualities of the filmmaking in these two films, especially. It's frankly like talking about how Mozart was quite good at the piano. <laughs> he, was, he was all right. He was all right. And that's, I mean, did you, did you feel like, for not knowing that much, it was much more about relationships than it was about crime? Yeah, I felt like it was more about relationships, politics, um, even just like keeping like the status quo mm. of things. It wasn't, 
it was slow moving. It was easy to follow, though there was a huge amount of characters and very complex uh, like relationships happening. Especially in the second one, I feel like there was a couple of times where I was like, I've forgotten that guy's name, and yeah. there's lots of switches in between different times and everything. It's one of those things where to call a film epic sometimes gets confused with actual scale of say destruction happening. Like somebody mm-hmm. might say, oh, we mentioned him last week, like a Michael Bay film is epic or a Marvel film is epic where mm-hmm. this is storytelling wise, I would say is epic. It yeah. spans a long time. It has these huge complex relationships mm-hmm. and emotions going on. And it's one of those that slowly grabs you and reels you in, then just give you explosions. Yeah. Or, or yes, you do get violence, but normally in short bursts than a whole bloodbath. Yeah, I did. I I I did love it when there was blood because I love the seventies version of just like. Pew, 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 pew. And the thing is, it is the Godfather Part One is still one of the greatest films of all time, but it also has one of the worst air punches of all time. Oh yes, when it, when it's um, uh, James think, Khan. Yes, and it's in the street, and the kids are just like, and it just goes. And I'm like, it's a good two foot away from his face. Oh, it's, it's like I don't know why he chose that angle. I don't know why he chose that angle, but it's brilliant. I <laughs> noticed it. I was like, oh, great. But I, I don't know. I just, I felt like that just added more to it. Hmm. Like nowadays, I feel like everything would be just so perfect and so CGI'd and so everything. Whereas, like, you hear about certain actors going, we just can't get this punch, so we're just going to punch each other. It'd be easier. It's. It's one of those things where, and I've spoken about this quite a lot over the podcast over the last few weeks, it's, it's, when people talk about production design and art design and mm-hmm. art direction, especially in part two, mm-hmm. and especially in the Robert De Niro, Vito Corleone, is a young man. Like, if that was made today, it would be all CGI. It would, yes. Where it just feels so real and lived in that world. But... What gets me every time when I watch these movies is, and I think it is the heart of the film, is the journey of Michael Corleone and Al Pacino's portrayal of him. And I know I'm talking about both films here, but going from the happy family opening wedding party of Godfather Part 1 to the final shot of Part 2 and the shattered, demolished remnants of what his father built, not only business-wise, but family-wise. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Michael's just alone, isolated, cruel. It's this unbelievably deep character arc that we watch unfold slowly, methodically, over years. And it's it's so nice to see uh, and be reminded of a subdued Al Pacino because, as you said, the, when you, Al Pacino you've really mostly watched is of modern, completely over the top, hoo ha Al Pacino. Like, and he was so good looking. He was back in the day. He, he was, was very good. so good looking. Like yeah. now, I'm like, okay, I know, I know you're a lot older, but I get it. He looks like a wolf. I get it. And yet, yeah, he delivers he two. Like and he looks like. 
and he delivers two of the best pieces of non-verbal acting I've ever seen, and one in, in one in both the films. One obviously in the restaurant when he's about to shoot the guys, mm-hmm. and you actually see him working out all the ramifications of what he's about to do mm-hmm. in those few seconds before it happens. And the second when Kate tells him she's aborted the baby that it yes. wasn't a miscarriage because she didn't want him to um her, her son to live in the, in the evil that Michael was the leader of and you see the love he has for care leave him yeah you see him process and shift love to hate yeah without saying a word and it's that is film mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's cinema that's that, that's the only, the only way you get that is through images being captured. You can't oh, get yeah. it in a book. You can't get it in a... That's like the truest art form. And But it's one of those things. It's what, what can you add to the discourse of two films where everything has been said, there's been books, there's been analysis about the quality and skill of these films for the last 50 years. But, yeah, it's... What really impresses me is the incredible foundation and lightning in a bottle instant classic nature of the first and then having the talent and skill and the understanding to build on that foundation foundation so strongly in the second and there's only two years between the both yeah and it's not like now where you plan that out no like part two wasn't planned when Godfather Part One was released, and to get that out and to be and for it to be just so good, and yet the the two fit together so well, as well, and especially when you watch it so close together as we have, like basically mm-hmm. a week apart, and the flashback scene at the end with the family dinner where Michael tells them that he's enlisted and he's dropped out of enlisted, college, yeah, to, because of Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. It gets me every time because it's just this gut punch of a reminder of the morality of that character and what he where where he's come from to where he's gone. It, it is just it's one of the greatest achievements in in cinema history and rightly so. And I'm so glad that you got to see <laughs> it. I'm jealous that the first time you actually got to see it was, was on, on a big, big screen. screen. Yeah, everybody be jealous of me. Yes, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And other than that, I know we've had quite a lot of this, but. I haven't really watched other films singly because for the last week, pretty much most of my spare time has been, well, like most of the world, been playing a video game called Elden Ring. Oh, yeah. Every time we come upstairs, you're on it. So you're I- off on Monday. What are you going to do on Monday, Jordan? All day. All- <laughs> this is why you're not coming shopping with me, isn't it? <laughs> this is it. I'm I'm going to go to Cheshire Oaks. You're going to sit on your ass all day and watch and play Elder Ring. Pretty me and the cat. <laughs> Even the cat's getting bored of it. So I've had this game seven days. Yeah, I've sang twenty nine hours into it, <laughs> and it feels like I haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> so Elder Ring, for like people who don't know, is from a studio called From Software, mm-hmm. and these have made a series of games under this Soulsborne banner and. The generally ridiculously difficult games where you have these big bosses and you die a lot. And that's why I never really have been tempted by them. Because mm-hmm. I am a casual gamer, really. I'm not I don't buy every brand new game. 
it, I play FIFA, pretty much that's it. I'm just one of those kinds of guys. But when reviews of a game comes out, and there's many of them saying this could be the greatest game of all time, or one of the greatest games of all time, mm-hmm. it's that FOMO, it's that... I. I, w- I want to make a judgment for myself. It was the fact that I came upstairs and you were on YouTube and you were watching like a Twitcher playing the game. I'm like, oh, what are you watching? Like, oh, everybody keeps on talking about this game. Yeah. And um, I just don't play these kinds of games. I just want to know what's happening so I can join in the conversation. Less than 24 hours later, <laughs> you had bought the game. You even texted me. He's like, see that game? Yeah, I've just bought it. And I was like, that- that's fine. You've bought the game. You should just bought it anyway. Yeah, it's... The thing that got me was people have compared it to Zelda Breath of the Wild, and Zelda Breath of the Wild is probably my favourite game of all time. Okay. And it's like that expansive world of, like, you can just get lost in walking about. But mm-hmm. the thing that's it's, it's got the balance of so well is that, yes, like other Soulsborne games, it's difficult, and it has the potential to be really difficult. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, it's that it's hard, but not too hard to turn you off. It's... You can always see what you did wrong in a certain run or a certain battle. Okay. You think, if I corrected this this time, I could actually beat it. Okay. And then you die another 25 times until you finally get it right. And it's <laughs> that addiction of getting a little bit better or a little bit, trying a different technique or trying a different method of doing it. It's so good. But yet, you haven't been in, this engrossing a video game since Zelda Breath of the Wild. I, I definitely haven't sank 20 to five, 29 hours. I haven't sank over a day's worth of time in one week into a game in, what, seven years. Which is- so are you kind of gutted now that, um, like, next week I, I'm around at the girls and then one of the girls is staying over next Friday and you will not be able... The, the bit that where you sit on is our sofa bed. Yeah. You cannot sit there because when we ring you to be like, can you come pick us up, please? You'll be like, yep, give me 20 minutes whilst I make the bed. Well, this is where you think up here for thinking. You're Are you like, moving this downstairs? Probably the PS5 downstairs, yeah. Because oh you're out all that Friday night. <laughs> what was if we come back? I can't come off it. Okay. But is I'll that where you? I'll oh have my about god! Five hours worth of play. Oh my gosh! You're <laughs> five hours. How long do you think? Actually, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, probably at least six. <laughs> um. Oh my! I'm gonna come. I'm not. I'm not gonna see you that night. No. No, you're gonna just fall asleep on the sofa, aren't you? Yeah, most likely. <laughs> and wake up, and then just start playing again. <laughs> I love it. Amy comes downstairs, and she's like, "Lauren Jordan has not moved <laughs> since like we left." Him. Good news, though, he's wearing pants. <laughs> Please wear pants while she's around. <laughs> It'll be the first time we've been able to have anybody stay over in like what two and a bit years. Yeah. Please do not scare my friends away. I won't. Thank you. Right then, so that's our what's been keeping us entertained. Bit of an extended one this week, but again, we've missed the week, mm-hmm. so we'll have a break. Yeah, and then we'll come back with Tangled. Who are you, and how did you find me? <clears throat> I know not who you are, nor how I came to find you, but may I just say, hi. How you doing? The name's Flynn Ryder. How's your day going? 
Huh? <laughs> Who else knows my location, Flynn Rider? All right, Blondie. Rapunzel. Gesundheit. Here's the deal. I was in a situation, gallivanting through the forest. I came across your tower, and the... Oh, oh no. Where is my satchel? I've hidden it. Somewhere you'll never find it. It's in that pot, isn't it? So Tangled. Like we said, it's a heist film. This is a cross I'm going to die on. <laughs> uh, it was first released in 2010 by Disney Pixar. and not Disney. Disney, sorry, not Disney Pixar. And it's directed by Nathan, G- uh, Nathan Greeno and Byron Howard. It's got Mandy Moore in it, Zachary Levi, Ron Perlman. Yeah. So you know it's going to be a great film when he's in. Um, And for me, so I have not written a huge amount of notes on this film because I know this film very well. Right. Um, It's a film that I love. It's a film that my friends love. Um, You were the first person, apart from I think maybe my grandparents and like (laughs) my dad, who had not seen this film. And the reason I picked it was because we sort of joke whenever we do this about how Jordan always picks quite serious films mm-hmm. and quite art housey sort of films, whereas I don't. And for me, I feel like this is a really good sort of intro to a heist film. I did not know, I would not have counted it as a heist film. I read that and I was like, when they dissected it I was like, okay the, the basic premise is a heist film but this is a heist film for the entire family this is something that little kids can watch and they can enjoy it and it, it's like a gateway drug to heist films it's I, a, I can it's say a that. gateway heist film so, it's one of those things where i mean you actually your corner well Thank there you. is a heist in it but that's not it has a heist in it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to start. It has two heists in it. Mm. Two heists. One of them is maybe maybe more of a kidnapping. Yes, but it's still planned. They still got a team together. It's true. It's true. Um, but other than that, and let's cross over that. Okay. When I watched, because yeah, I I haven't seen it right. <laughs> so when I watched it originally, cause it's been like what, a week and a half yeah. since we've seen it. I pretty much thought it was like a mid-level Disney fair for me. Mm-hmm. I love the animation. I love the vocal performances. Mm-hmm. But it never really struck a chord, um, and I'd find myself drifting away. Mm-hmm. However. Oh, however, I like it when there's a however. This means John's had a change of heart, hopefully. I think... When you really get down in the dirt and you dig in the dead leaves, and I only really realised this whilst I was putting my notes together for the film mm-hmm. to talk about it, there's some really fascinating stuff in there. Okay. The fact that it's gaslighting yes, the Disney way. Oh, God, yeah is an interesting thing to do. And the character of Mother Gothel... Oh, she's horrific. And her passive aggressiveness, her manipulation, 
Of everybody. Uh, of, yeah, but uh, of using Rapunzel, well, stuff like that has kept psychiatrists employed for a long, long, <laughs> long time. She's the classic narcissistic gaslighting it is, mother. And that's what the that's why the villain works. Because you can see her similarities in the real world. Mm-hmm. It's not this evil stepmother or witch or whatever. It's it's behaviour that people do in people you you realize that sometimes maybe it's been happening to you. Mm-hmm. And I actually watched this six-minute cut of just Mother Gothel on you cut a video on YouTube gaslighting Rapunzel. Oh, it's horrific! And yeah, it's quite tough to watch. Yeah, and I guess maybe it's a situation where I like what the film discusses and the dialogue that it opens up between the viewers than maybe the way the film is executed. Because, I mean, I saw a comment on that YouTube video Mm -hmm. and there was this person who was like, when I was a kid and I watched this, I used to feel sorry for Mother Gothel Mm -hmm. because she thought the fact that she was saying that she loved Rapunzel, that that meant that she did. Yes. And that... All she wanted to do was... Take care of her. To take care of her and to be young. Yeah. But it's when you get older and you just see how much of that is like when she ever says, I love you, it's always with a little sly. Other than it, it's like, oh, you're a little bit chubby, but I I love love you. you. Yeah. I love you, but... Yeah. There's always a condition. It's kind of very slicing. It, It cuts it apart. Did you, I don't know if you also noticed this, if she's not calling her Rapunzel, mm. did you notice the type of nicknames that she always gives her? Mm. They're always plant-based. Right. They're flower, petal. She, unless she's calling her Rapunzel, everything name. she calls her... Something that she grows. ...is plant-based because the only thing she cares for is the plant yeah. that is technically... Inside Rapunzel. That, and also, Rapunzel doesn't have shoes. Because if she doesn't have shoes, then she can't run away. Yeah. There's loads. The reason why I really like this as well is because it gives an actual valid reason for why Rapunzel would have long hair. Hmm. That always bugged me in the original. If a girl grows her hair, great. But to grow it that long makes no sense. The fact that it's... A reason. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like if you cut Rapunzel's hair, it will it'll lose the magic and it will never grow again. Makes sense. Yeah. So I really, really liked that part of it. But yeah, Mother Gothel is horrific. She's a pure villain. That's what I kind of like. She's a pure villain in the sense of the story, but a pure villain in the sense of real life. And I think as well, when you see when they go to the tavern and then there's everybody else that you may be classed as being a Disney villain. Yeah, yeah. And they're not actually, they are nowhere near as bad as what Mother Gothel is actually like. They're like a caricature of what Disney has always sort of said. This is a villain. They're big and they're scary and they're strong and they'll fight you and they'll hurt you. Where, when it's like, do you know what? That's fine. But Mother Gothel 
messes you up and the thing is, inside. Mother, Mother Gothel doesn't have any secret powers. She's just no. a woman. She's just a woman who found a plant. Yeah, and yeah, I love that. But I actually, the best ex- <laughs> the best explanation of this film that I've seen, and I read this in a review somewhere, I don't know, was that it's basically the story of an old woman who wants Botox but is scared of needles. <laughs> I love that. But as you were mentioning before there, it's like, yeah, I, I liked how it took the classical Disney format of prince and princess and played around with the stereotypes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The princess is normally quite passive and the prince is stoic. And this breathes lives into their personalities. And I, 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 as I said before, I enjoyed the leads. I, I enjoy the feistiness of Rapunzel and like the, the naivety of her and the overly cockly, cocky Flynn. Yeah. It, it just made their interactions witty and engaging. And you talk about, yeah, the, the people who you would normally see were not genuinely your normally looking characters in a positive sense. It sends yeah. a good message. And yet the only thing that I think the film falls for me, and it, it is a big thing when you're doing this sort of a Disney movie, mm-hmm. is the songs. I think it's, yeah. The soundtrack, mm-hmm. the actual like score, score, love it. There's so- scores in that that I could listen to again and again. That I just think are so fun and really breathe life into it. The songs, apart from the one in the tavern, I had a dream. I had a dream. I'd say I'm not. out. I, only... I found it funny because it's a way to introduce yeah, yeah. those people that she, you see as villains into being actual people and having interests outside of maiming and robbing people which i think is fun and but yeah the other songs they just fall flat and the thing is you should come out of one of those these sort of movies humming a tune in it for days to come yeah and you just don't it doesn't have a let it go let it go or however many ones that were in moana it's disappointed in that regard so therefore it doesn't give you that same experience that you want from a disney movie and don't mm-hmm. get me wrong as i said the message is there in subtext and in its theme and character but for me it's all about that relationship between gothel and rapunzel and not really even spotting the passive aggressiveness within it mm-hmm. but then not it's, it's took me a week to put my notes together and realize just how bad it is how bad it is yeah because it's absolutely shocking it's incredibly bad and when you watch it yeah it's baffling just how it's the mother knows best song yeah where she goes through it and she's basically like you're pathetic and you can't leave the house and somebody's gonna murder you and everything bad is gonna happen to you i'm the only person you can't ever leave me Mm. But, but it's done in a cheery song. Yeah. But all the message is negativity and putting down and oh, like that part was like, oh Christ, is that is this an actually an important Disney movie? And it's one of those things where, yeah, the message is there, maybe the execution is a little bit off, but the, the film looks great, mm-hmm. cast are great, mm-hmm. and yeah, it definitely has that edge to it. Who was your favourite character? Sadly, not my favourite character, but... Again, it's just probably Gothel. I kind of, I didn't like her. But you enjoyed watching. But the, I think the whole film is about yeah. that. 
and and the design of her as well. I actually kind of love the design of her because she kind of, to me, the way she's designed. Um, Disney princesses have a very specific look. They look a very specific way. They have little pointed faces, big eyes, always like big hair, everything. If you look at Mother Gothel, she looks just like an older version Mm -hmm. of a Disney princess, I feel. But then you see like Rapunzel's mum, who looks, looks like a normal person, basically. Her eyes are still a bit bigger, but nowhere near as big as like Mother Gothel's or Rapunzel's. They look, I think, I feel like it's meant to be a commentary on Mother Gothel's like, an aging princess who doesn't have that love anymore, who doesn't get any of that attention anymore. She was cast aside because by the sounds of it, she was always alone. But that's it. And that's the thing is when you're taking this fantastical story, but putting it with real world issues and Mm -hmm. real world feelings and emotions, but doing it in that, it's very Pixar because mm-hmm. the Pixar are, are like the kings of doing that. Oh yeah, yeah. But this cuts deep, and that is to be applauded. And I think it's one of those things where it's yeah, I didn't love it as much as other Disney movies, but this is probably one of the most complex relationships we've seen in a Disney movie. Like I always, I always use these things, but you could write a thesis about that. Relationship. Yeah, you could definitely. See, for me, um, my favorite character is Flynn Rider, mm. and I love Flynn Rider in this. Because um I also like Maximus. The horse. <laughs> he's got so much sass and so <laughs> much personality. It's like when he's like, those apples are bought, and he starts eating the apples, like, well, most of them. The horse is like, oh my god, which ones do I eat? What do I do? I'm having a total identity crisis. Um for me, Flynn Ride is one of um and it sounds so stupid. At the end, and he's like a nice, normal person, great, bit boring. I like my characters a bit more spicier. I mm. like it when he's still being a bit more of the bad guy. And I like it because it's so false. Yeah. It is a false persona that he's given himself to stop himself being hurt. Yeah. And I love the fact that he gets really, really insulted by how they do like his uh, wanted posters because he's so vain. And I also really enjoy that he is possibly the most realistic person that you would have in a Disney film. When all the singing and all the dancing is happening in the tavern, the look on his face, he's just standing in the corner as he said, what the hell is happening here? This is weird. I want no part of it. If you went to a pub and everybody burst into a random song and they somehow knew every single verse you'd be like i have no idea what's happening here everybody here is psychotic the fact that rapunzel fixes his hand and he's like she's like don't freak out and he is blatantly freaking out and he's like i'm not freaking out it's fine it's fine it's fine and inside you can just see him going ah i don't know what to do it's magic and this is weird and i don't like it and she told me not to freak out so i'm gonna pretend to be really calm that to me, I think, is a really good character because a lot of the time the princes are, I am good. I'm going to save you. And it's like, ugh, you're so boring. 
Whereas this one isn't. He's a real person. Yeah, I completely agree. And I kind of love just love Zachary Levi. I think he's funny. He he reacts to things well. His voice sounds really good in this. Um, my favorite part of the whole thing is when Rapunzel and Flynn leave the tower, and there's just like five minutes of Rapunzel having a full-on identity crisis, where she's like, "This is amazing," and she's like, "Oh my god, I am the worst person in the entire world." Because I feel like that's a very relatable reaction to have especially when you've had been in what is basically an abusive relationship of being able to experience that freedom and then the guilt washing over you and the fear that she feels Mm. from disappointing mother gothel and flynn's just standing there to, to say oh my god will you please just decide what is happening yeah and I love it. I love the realism. I love the funness. I love the campness of that scene. And I just think it's a really good way to be able to sort of see the different characters and how they interact. I agree. And Pascal is so cute. He is cute. We've got to love a Disney sidekick. That's it. Um, actually, I don't know why, but I was like, I, I kept expecting him to talk, but he just doesn't. This, no, I think that's good. I think because a lot of the other Disney sidekicks have talked in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially in recent years, have moved away from that it's like when they had um moana's little um chicken little chicken voiced by thingy alan tuddick yeah when she had alan tuddick and a chicken doesn't doesn't talk just like gets his head stuck in things yeah, and yeah. calls love it but pascal yeah doesn't apart from a couple of little bit like of like little squeaks doesn't make any doesn't talk and i i like that Cool. I like the fact it's a chameleon. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add? It's a heist film. <laughs> it, it's definitely a heist film. Okay, heist might be loosely, but it's one of the themes is of a heist. One of the plot points is the heist. Yes. There we go. One of the plot points is a heist. Therefore, it was valid to be in the heist season. And I will fight anybody who says <laughs> no. I'll let you have it. Thank Given you. that it's our last one. <laughs> See, I don't start on the weak ones. Started on one that was blatantly a heist. I picked two that were blatantly heist. But it's one of those things where like after we fin- after we finished watching it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh Christ, I have nothing to say. Last week we got to film and you got to record, sorry, and you were like, maybe it's a good thing that we didn't record this week because I have no notes. Yeah, I, I had nothing to all. say. And then it wasn't until I started putting, like, writing down, thinking, what what do I want to talk about? I was like, well... I was like, we could watch it again. <laughs> I was like, then it's like, I started talking about like, the passive aggressiveness of, of Mother Gothel and then you, it, just, it just, it really did, it just snowballed. I was like, Christ, that and that and that and that. And then, mm-hmm. and then it became... One of the most interesting films we've actually talked about. One of the most interesting relationships we've talked about in this entire season. Yeah. So, good pick. Thanks. All from a kid's film. Yeah. Don't knock the kid's films. And I feel like this is another reason as well. I feel like a lot of men do not feel comfortable watching a Disney princess film. It's one of those where they stopped, like, obviously, it was after, this one was, I think, the one directly after The Princess and the Frog. 
which I love. I love The Princess and the Frog. But again, I think they've stopped talk, calling films like that because little boys wouldn't want to go see a film called The Princess and the Frog, but they'll go see a film about a princess called yeah. Tangled. Yeah. It is, that's just kind of good marketing, really. I think it's very good marketing, but I do think for like people our age mm-hmm. who haven't seen them, they are really like, they are just like little films of joy. Yeah. They're like 90 minutes. You can sit, you can watch them. Or little films of abuse in this case. Little films of like emotional gaslighting abuse. <laughs> um, there are parts of joy that are in it. But yeah, I just think, you know what? Put put down the Michael Bay explosion boobs and everything and just watch. Exploding boobs? Explosion and boobs. Oh, right, okay. Nobody wants to see exploding boobs. Explosions. Oh, no, I'm thinking of, um, uh, oh, what's it, Austin Powers. Yes. They were machine gun boobs. They were. Either way, just just put down the aggressively masculine film and just watch something that's fun. Yeah. Because you might find something that you go, oh, this is great, I can just turn my brain off. Or you might stumble across a really abusive relationship that keeps you thinking for days and leads you onto a YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah. Scars you. <laughs> Is this this one where you're like, our oh, child can never watch this until they reach a certain age and we can explain to them why gaslighting is bad? Yes. <laughs> Instead, you can watch The Godfather, three <laughs> months old. <laughs> well, that is the end of our high season, our first season, our first season, the new format. Yay. We'll be starting another one. Yes. Next week. Yes. What is our new season going to revolve around? We are going to be picking films that we feel are going to be like modern classics. Or future classics. Future classics. So films that we look at and we're like, this is a great film. And we feel like in X amount of years, we will look back on it and be like, this is a classic. Yeah. So I, it came into like... When we talked about once once upon some Hollywood, and I was like, in fifty years, I think these later films of Twenty Tarantino will be appreciated more than his his, yeah. his earlier war work. Yeah. And yeah, it's those films in fifty years that people will look back to as classics. Yes. I've picked our first film. What's the first one? So it's back to me. Yeah. So the first one that I'm gonna choose for this new season. Is it Tarantino? No. Oh, okay. It's a 2019 movie. Mm-hmm. And it's from the filmmakers, the Safety Brothers. Yeah, you can't remember I'm really bad with directors. You're going to keep on narrowing it down. It's a film called Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. Get your Xanax. Sorry, your have you not seen that all over TikTok? No, no. Have you not seen it? No. Oh, my God. So there's like... Kanye West's ex-girlfriend was like saying that she was Josh Shafty's muse when he made Uncut Jams. Oh, oh, Julia Fox. Julia Fox. Oh, yeah, she's in the movie. Yeah, but she like blatantly takes like all the credit for this film and it's been all over TikTok because she says it in such a really weird way. I can't believe you've not seen it. No. I'm going to find it. I'm going to send it to you. That's that's, that's the first one. 
Okay, that is great because I've never actually seen it, but I've heard so much about this film in the past like three weeks. And yeah, get your Xanax ready, get your whatever stress-related medicine, buy your table. Do I need a bit of chav wine for this film? You might need a bit of chav wine. Okay, I'll buy a bottle of chav wine. Um, But yeah, Uncle Gems, my first (laughs) choice. We'll be back next week with it. Great. And I think that's about it. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going on TikTok now to find you these videos. And that's it for High Season. And we'll be back next week. See you then. Bye.